Hello and welcome to another episode of the Auto Chat Podcast. I'm Alistair Charlton, an automotive and technology journalist, and I'm joined as ever by my friend and fellow car enthusiast, George Turner. Hi, George. Hello. Hello. Good evening. How are you? You been busy? I'm alright. Yeah, I've, I've been plenty busy, thanks. Still doing me odd jobs. Yep. Uh, Organising a few trips for the summer as well. Hopefully, if we come out of now we're all out, allowed outside again. We can go places a bit. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I'm just sitting here with a cider. Lovely. Which is not often my drink of choice, but I found <laughs> like a new cider I really like. So, what's that? It's having a cider. It's called Scully. Okay, I've not heard. And of it's, it. it's 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 like drinking apple tizer with it's alcoholic. <laughs> it just it's really nice. So I would recommend that. Nice. I don't know about cider. It always seems a good idea on a sunny summer's afternoon, but I don't know, it's not normally my drink of choice. When it gets sunny, I'll let you know what that's like. <laughs> yeah, if it ever gets sunny. It's disgusting here, as I'm sure it is there. Yep. So how about yourself? You alright? Yeah, good, thanks. Good. Uh, I got to go home this weekend, which was good. I've not been home since July last year, so that was really good. So did Christmas <laughs> with my mum. Um, and yeah, it was nice just to get away for a couple of days. And, I've seen a few yeah. people on social media giving out Christmas presents recently <laughs> to people they haven't seen. Yeah, this year. Yeah, I, I, I saw a bit of that. Yeah, I saw a few a few friends from Yorkshire as well were doing the same thing this weekend, which is quite nice. No, it's good. Yeah, it's good that you you got back up there and yeah, seen your family. The MX-5 got a bit of a run, which is nice. It's furthest it's been. And it was just torrential rain all the way there and back, which was pretty grim. But uh, it managed all right. You do feel a bit vulnerable on the motorway when, when the wipers aren't quite going quickly enough. Um, but, yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, it was I know all about feeling vulnerable on a motorway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's my excuse there, and then there's you driving the, the Victor. Yeah. So, no, I'm glad the wheels have stayed on as well, following that. <laughs> debacle yes uh i tried them again with the torque wrench a week or so ago i think after i'd been to silverstone and back and they were fine they were all as tight as they should be so that's all good and i've got the tools now as well i invested in tools so yep well you did you just drop silverstone in there you've, <laughs> uh, you've been doing some track work it is a track work as they say in the business yeah, I did. Yeah, I went to Silverstone and drove around the GP circuit on a really wet day in a Radical, which was really so good fun. <laughs> yeah, it was brilliant. Um, Were you glad it was wet or would you have rather have done it in the dry? I'd rather it was dry, for sure. I, I was a bit nervous and a little bit apprehensive about this whole thing. Like, from the first phone call or email or whatever it was I got from the PR, I was a little bit unsure because I've not driven on a track before in a car. I've done loads of karting, but apart from a couple of laps at the Top Gear track in a Kia Seed, haven't driven on a track, so I was a bit nervous. Um, and then with the weather as well, I was driving up there and it was chucking it down. I thought, oh God, right, it's, it's going to be wet, so I just have to come to terms with that. And I get to the circuit, don't know where I'm going, asking which car park to go to, get to the paddock, and all sorts of stuff's been unloaded. There's like GT3 spec Ferraris, Lamborghinis, Porsches, all sorts of stuff. I'm thinking, oh shit, <laughs> this is really you know, intimidating. You know you've got to go out there in the pissing rain and dice it up with all them lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yes. I was feeling a bit uncomfortable initially, um, but it was great. It was really, really good. I had the, they were sort of doing one-on-one sessions with journalists, so I had the morning that day, and so I had 
two cars, or supposed to be two cars, and the pro driver, uh, a bloke called Sean Doyle, who was absolutely fantastic. He went out um, with me in the passenger seat for a few laps, and I thought, I can't do that. I can't go as quickly as he's going. No way. Um, but when we swapped over, he was on the radio to me, so he sat next to me. I could hear him, but he couldn't hear me, which is beneficial. And his instructions were just spot on. I felt like I was driving with my ears, though, not my eyes, because I was totally dependent on what he was saying for everything. You know, for every steering input, for every gear change, for every acceleration and every braking, um, I was listening for him, at least in the first stint, which was a bit strange. Um, and for navigating around traffic as well or letting traffic through, the mirrors were set up for his view and not mine, so I was just completely in his hands in that regard. Um, but it was good. It was amazing. <laughs> Those cars just... I mean, I only drove the baby one, the SR1, but it just grips like nothing else. And the amount of traction, the amount of speed that builds up so quickly, you know, they don't weigh anything. Yeah, it was it was sensational. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I've read that they do 0 to 60 in three and a half seconds. So, yeah, you're um, still yeah. shifting. Yeah, it's a quick car. It's, like, it's just under half a ton, I think. So it's not particularly powerful and it's a bike engine. But, yeah, they do go. And obviously you're so exposed. It's a fully open, you know, cockpit. You've no wind, windscreen or anything. Um, so yeah, it was it was proper. It was good. Really glad I've done it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I did a passenger lap with him in the quicker car, the SR10, which I was supposed to drive as well. But they said there's no point in the wet because you won't get anything more out of it. You'll just scare yourself, <laughs> yeah. and you won't you, you won't enjoy it. Um, so yeah, passenger lap with him was just mad. That was on a whole another level. <laughs> we overtook everything. <laughs> Yeah, that's brilliant. If you're going past people in better machinery, perhaps, then... Mm. Oh, yeah. You know, you've just got we, someone we that knows everyone. what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, really, really does. Yeah, that's cool. So are they trying to kind of promote buying into their series? Yeah, that's exactly Radio. what it is. Yeah, that was the reason for me going along, was um, to, you know, to get coverage of the Radical Race series that they do. Um, they do them all over the world, and... Um, they're, you know, they are quite affordable. They, I keep, <laughs> I'm going to do the sales pitch now. They kept telling me how you can buy an SR1 for forty five thousand, I think, but that includes your first year's racing. And that includes entry, includes storage and transportation. I think consumables as well. Obviously, if you crash, then parts are there for you. They've got a transporter full of parts, but I, I believe you have to sort of pay your pay your way there, um, or there's insurance of some kind. Um, and I think it's six um, six race meetings and two two races per meeting. And they go to proper tracks. Yeah, they go to Silverstone, they go to Brands Hatch. There are five in the UK and then they go to Spa for one race this season as part of the UK Championship. And then after a year, you can sell the car back to them for about 35000 So say the years cost you ten grand. So it's, um, it's kind so of affordable. That is, yeah. I if mean, you can stump up the cash up front, it's not that bad. You know, if you're doing reasonably okay for yourself mm. you know there are obviously going to be extras but yeah yeah if you said 10 grand for a season that's pretty good yeah, uh, yeah almost sounds 12, too good to me but 12 races and i think they're 25 30 minutes each so it's 10 grand for six hours of racing which makes it sound a bit more expensive well that's motorsport at the end of the day yeah. is a rich man's sport so it is it is um right. I, I, as part of this sort of introduction to radical i went to brands hatch the week before to go to the one of the races 
and chatted to some of the drivers and they you know they all admit yes we are gentlemen drivers you know we're successful we're busy during the week they work in property development or whatever um and this is just what they do at the weekend and they absolutely love it some of them try to get up to lmp3 which is what you can do sort of above a mid-range radical but a lot of them find that too serious and they'd rather just go back down to radical where yeah, they're with their mates and it's fun yeah and it's just a scale up of, I guess, what I do with the karting, mm. isn't it? It's just yeah. that's what we do at the weekends. And probably people will listen to me saying I spend 125 quid on 30 minutes of karting and say, mm-hmm. Christ, mm. you know, you're mad. But that's just what we do. And yeah. you know, if you if you were earning a bit more money, then I guess spending a few grand on an hour's racing is the same thing. So yeah. Yeah, for yeah sure. it does make sense. You know, there is a market out there for it, and it sounds like Radical are building good equipment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Super popular. Um, they, they run these series all over the world, like I say, and um, they've got a whole range of vehicles. And yeah, it's you get some some interesting characters. When I was at Silverstone, there was another Radical car in the next garage, and that was I don't know who it was, but he he was described as the boss of Apple UK. <laughs> so that's what he does on his days off. It's, um... Yeah, it was it was good. It was really really good fun, and it was just it was a look at motorsport where people are there to have fun, like you do with your karting, rather than as a potential career progression. Like they all know they're not going to go anywhere or, or a business, you know. Yeah, it's, I'm um, sure they have sponsors, but not. Mm. You know. Yeah, they do. Some of them do. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was good fun. Glad I did it. Potentially get to go back in the summer, perhaps when it's dry, and try that out. But we'll see. Well, that's it. You can always leave and say, oh, I'd love to try this in the dry. <laughs> well, the journalist that came after me, Alex Goy, um, I bumped into him in the paddock on the way out. And I said, oh, you'll love it, mate. You'll love it. You know, it's fine. And he didn't get to do any. The, the session got cancelled because of the rain. So he's, he's been moved to June at some point. So maybe there's availability there for me to have a go. Yeah, there you go. Hopefully. Mm. What else have we been up to? We, we did um, meet up last weekend at Caffeine and Machine in the Cotswolds. Yeah, we did. That, it's the first time we've met, or one of the few times we've met for the last sort of six months or so, isn't it? Six or nine months. So, yeah, it was good. And we, we managed to find a three-hour dry spell yeah. somehow. <laughs> yeah. It was actually quite sunny, and we were at yeah. Caffeine and Machine, which is, if you don't know it, it's, I guess it's a pub or cafe for specifically built around the cars that go there so the car park is the attraction Mm. and it attracts i mean pretty much everything from my mg maestro to mclarens ferraris lamborghinis Mm. there was some crazy machinery there yeah it's eclectic isn't it that's the word i've got written down it's just such a mix yeah a real box of chocolates Mm. And there's sort of a mutual appreciation, I think, as well, that you don't look at anyone's car and go, oh, God, that's awful, really. Um, a lot of the time it's like, oh, OK, you've got that. Cool. Fair enough. And you do see some interesting stuff that you might not like, but things that you can almost appreciate. Like there was a couple of you know supercars that have had a bit of work done and you get all sorts of different things there. Resto mod stuff, you get classics, you get modern stuff, absolutely everything. They do do some themes days, but often you just turn up and it's a real mix of vehicles. And yeah, it's great. It's just it's a B and B with a load of outside space for seating, and yeah, the car park is the is the reason you go. So you you can stay there, can you? 
Yeah, they've got a few rooms. I don't suppose they're operating, right. or maybe they are operating again now. Unless they've changed their business model over the last year. But yeah, they're, I'm pretty sure they've got yeah only a few, like three or four, so yeah, like, a, like a pub would have. Um, but yeah, there's um, there's a bit more to it once it's all open. Because we went on the last day of the previous COVID tier, didn't we? So you couldn't go inside. Yeah, so. but it was still still really, really good. And like you say, I think mm. everyone there is a petrol head and everyone mm. has this nice appreciation for each other's cars. Mm. And at the same time, I didn't think anybody there was trying too hard to show off. I mean, there were some mm. really expensive, exotic cars there, but I didn't feel like anyone was really trying too hard to be centre of attention or anything like that. It was quite, like you say, it was quite an even keel. As long as you turned up in something interesting, people were mm. appreciative of it. I think uh, that's explained in, in, best by when you leave. I don't know if you saw, but when you turn right out of the exit, there's a sign that says, don't be a dick, which basically means don't floor it out of the car park and put it in the hedge, cars and coffee style. And and I think that yeah. ethos sort of is reflected through, or at least with most of the customers, that people tend to behave themselves. When I left at one point, the chap said to me, he said, oh, um, please don't make too much noise when you're leaving. So I said, mate, like, I'm in a 1987 Maestro. It's not... <laughs> I was if it's making like a loud a... noise, something's gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, I was following a 911 out of the car park. Like, I don't think you've got to worry about me upsetting the neighbours. <laughs> and is this where you left the car park and came back in again to park it at the front? Yeah, you, I'd love you to... You went and put of... your car in the, in the star spot. Yeah, I'd love to say it was put there at the beginning, but it wasn't. I was, I was, I was shoved over the back, and then yeah, towards the end, I drove it round for for a really good picture, which you kindly took out the front. And yeah, plenty of people were interested in the old Maestro, which was nice. One fellow was talking to you for ages, wasn't he? He was. He was taking quite a few pictures as well. <laughs> Do you, you could have sold it to him. <laughs> it's um, when the member of staff came over and said, "Is this yours? This gentleman wants to have a word." And we didn't really pay much yeah. attention. You went over to and him, and then did, when we looked it, back, it the just, bonnet was up, the doors are open. Yeah, he had the bonnet up. <laughs> he actually said to me, he goes, oh, I used to nick these in South London back in the 80s. Like, he oh, didn't follow right. you home, did he? <laughs> he goes, yeah, these are well easy to nick. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> From a distance, I'm he seemed sure like a decent were. chap. <laughs> yeah, no, ex-criminal. He said, he said he's a reformed man now. Oh, good. Good. I mean, he turned up in that classic five series. Whether or not that was his classic five series, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Did the number plates look suspiciously new? They've just been put on. There's probably there's probably a blue MG Maestro driving around Birmingham now with, with the same number plate on as mine. <laughs> Free petrol. I'm going to get, get a speeding load of speeding tickets. tickets. <laughs> um, yeah, no, obviously that was like the, the first long haul flight I kind of did in the MG. Mm. Um, we did karting on Saturday and then we did caffeine and machine Sunday and sort of got to know it a bit better now, learnt a few of its foibles, had a bonnet up, which I fixed quite quickly and felt felt a bit like Ed China <laughs> afterwards. I just opened the bonnet, math plugged, sensor, something, plugged the math sensor back in because yeah. it, it basically has to be permanently unplugged. Yeah. And it and it died. So I thought, well, I'll just try plugging that back in and see if it works. And it worked. <laughs> but then and then after a while, it stopped idling. So I had to unplug oh, it again. Yeah. I remember you saying. <laughs> every, every time I got to a roundabout, it was conking out. I was having to heel and toe. <laughs> um, Did your other half drive it home? Yeah. Um, so it's a very easy car to drive. Yeah. 
I think. Um, e- easy for a bit of heel and toe, like you said. Yeah, easy for a bit of heel and toe. A um, few other problems. It was a, a very B- British Leyland weekend. So <laughs> the, the rear passenger side door just decided not to even unlock anymore. Right. Um, but I've since found out that the fix for that is just using a pair of pliers and yanking up. The... Oh, you just pull the thing up. Yeah, yeah. but you have to pull it hard. <laughs> um, uh, the central lock, the remote central locking, just stopped working. Mm. Um, but then when I got back, I just turned the battery over in the. You mm. know, you just take the mm. battery out and put it back in. Mm. Worked fine. That's a bit like turn and, it off and on again, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and then at one point, the the rear passenger side indicator wasn't working. And we just swapped all the bulbs around and now everything's working fine. So very much the full British Leyland experience <laughs> so far. But yeah, I'm really enjoying it. You know, I'm still driving along with a smile on my face, the 80s music playing. So. Yeah, good. Where would it have yeah. been built? It probably wasn't, hard, wasn't far from its birthplace where we went. I think they were built in Cowley. Right. So still, no, probably not far. Yeah. Yeah, just always assume when you're in that neck of the woods that anything like that's probably been built nearby. There's a few brummies about to come out of the woodwork and go, oh, we used to build this. <laughs> I had that not from a brummie, but from a Polish chap fitting a steering wheel to my mini. He told me that he'd built it. <laughs> <laughs> this specific one. Well, he said probably, yeah, because he was looking at it in quite a lot of detail and said, um, depends what shift it was that day, but yeah, probably. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'd like to find the person that built the MG and ask him about the panel gaps. <laughs> <laughs> we um, we did a sort of Top Gear style meet up in a car park beforehand, didn't we? You know, who's brought what? And um, I was I was quite impressed with the car until someone pointed out the panel gaps. And yeah, you can, or I could anyway. I could fit my little finger through one of them, sort of up to the first knuckle. I got a bit scared because of how easily my finger went into it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that no, was cool in the car park. Everyone, you know, mm. sort of our friendship group turning yeah. up one by one. Which car's going to arrive next? Kind of a thing. <laughs> so, yeah. I loved it. And we did. We did have a kart race that weekend, and it was like a bit like your day at the Radicals, just piss mm. wet. Mm. Um, and I was sliding all over the place, not going particularly fast, to be honest. And I got black flagged, mm. which was. So, what did you do? Yeah, the less um, track limits, uh. basically. But it was wet, and I was trying. You know, it <laughs> takes a while to 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 find your to find your lines, and it yeah, took yeah. me. I think it was two track limits and two laps, and that's mm, warrants a penalty. Mm. I mean, we we still came eleventh out of thirty six. That's pretty good. And 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 my teammate had a had a crash into the barriers as well. So, mm. you know, I think everyone was having a bit of an eventful one. <laughs> so still didn't yeah, do yeah. too bad for it. Good stuff. So yeah. That's what I've been up to. Well, should we go for some some news or other we can, things? We can. We can do. Happening? Yeah. Do you want to go to the Monaco Grand Prix? Uh, well, I'd we'll love be, to go. We'll be over that one if quickly. You're offering. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you've got tickets next year, then definitely. But um, I wish. Yeah, it's perhaps it's definitely not one for the the casual viewer. The Monaco mm. Grand Prix. It's a difficult one to explain, but. You, you kind of have to have it in the calendar and you have to do it and you have to appreciate it for, it for what it is, you know, it's... Do you know? be a bit... <laughs> <laughs> I feel if one has outgrown... I've written down here, the Monaco Grand Prix, Grand Prix represents everything that's wrong with Formula 1. It's a little bit strong, I admit, but it's just, it's just this rich thing. It's this jewel in the crown that people who are there watching on the yachts don't care about. 
The cars are too big and too fast for it and too reliant on aero, as we know at other circuits. It just, I don't know, increasingly so felt like you can't hold a race there because it's not a race. I agree in some parts it is a bit silly and the race is dull, although mm. there was some really good strategy going on. Yeah, for the purist, I agree. You can see the strategy. The only, yeah, and I think to see those drivers take those cars around that circuit is mm. always going to be incredible. Like how Qualifying close is a great they are watch. to the barriers. <laughs> yeah. Well, if anything, what you need to take from the Monaco Grand Prix is qualifying is key. That is yeah. the more exciting thing to watch. And if you were watching Saturday, they were pushing hard. Uh, two or three drivers had some pretty big mm. smashes in, in practice or qualifying. And then, unfortunately, because it's so difficult to overtake during the race, that pretty much sets the tone. Mm. But you've still got to do 70-odd laps of that track, and it's so... The level of concentration must be insane. It's obviously quite warm there. They're doing a hell of a lot of work on the wheel, so... As an example of athleticism, I think it is. Yeah, it is certainly a spectacle. Um, But as as sport, it's not quite as enjoyable, I don't think. I love the slow motion replays of them, you know, kissing the barriers, and it's super impressive stuff. But like you said, I think to a a mainstream audience, it's just a bit lost on them. Yeah, I mean, uh, Vettel and Perez were the two that really harnessed the right strategy and Mm. they did what was known as the overcut and they stayed out longer on their tyres and then made up time whilst the people that pitted early were warming up their tyres so that's how Lewis ended up being overtaken by Mm. Gasly and Vettel and then I think Perez overtook all three of them much to Lewis's disappointment (laughs) yeah much to Lewis's disappointment And then we're obviously glossing over the fact Ferrari made a colossal oh, boob. God. In, no, well, Leclerc made a boob by crashing it, and then they obviously made a boob by not fixing it. Or dis- mm. I mean, I guess they didn't know, but you sort of thought if it's taken a bit of a whack, there's probably going to be some damage. Didn't they just put pride first there and thought, well, we want to be on pole, or we want the the home boy to be on pole? It'll be okay knowing how difficult it is to overtake. Because otherwise they would have started yeah. sixth, wouldn't they? And probably finished sixth, yeah. fifth, fourth, something yeah. like that. Something like that, yeah. Um, I was gutted for So him. a bad day for them. Yeah, and a bad day for Bottas, mm. as usual. Not his fault, I don't <laughs> Not think. Not his fault at all, no. <laughs> but, you know, there's that, there's that like meme of him with the bottle of beer and it says tradition underneath. I think that's like perfect. Just, yep, tradition. My race has gone up the swanee. <laughs> I saw a tweet earlier today saying they still couldn't get the wheel off. I don't know if that was true or not, but it's just there's something very seriously gone wrong with it. He's got to do the entire rest of the season <laughs> on that tyre. Pirelli would love the data from that, I'm sure. <laughs> Before the Grand Prix started, I, I, was, I was at my mum's and I put on an episode of Drive to Survive because I felt that it was important viewing. What, to so, get your mum in the mood? Yeah. Formula <laughs> <laughs> One. Well, no, I thought that her and her partner, they're not interested in Formula One, really. They're passing interest, I suppose. But I thought, I'll show them the episode from Drive to Survive with Grosjean's crash. Because it's not just a big crash and a fireball. There's all sorts of drama. There's And then there's Perez, obviously, having his his uh, ups and downs with the two, um, the two Bahrain Grand Prix. 
And they loved it. They absolutely loved it. They were like watching it and like cheering people on. It was fantastic. And I, I feel that that series has done such good. And then you put an actual Grand Prix on. <laughs> and it's... Yeah, that one especially. Dull. That one especially, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. The Netflix thing has brought a few people into it. And I was actually mm. listening to a podcast earlier, which was, had nothing to do with cars or motorsport or anything. And they did like a top TV picks and the mm. chap started talking about Drive to Survive. And that really mm. surprised me. But he was like, never really been bothered about F1. He said, I, mm. I binged watched three series of Drive to Survive. And now I'm bloody watching the races. <laughs> <laughs> and enjoying yeah, the races, very, hopefully. But... Yeah, I think, you know, people do still find it a bit difficult sometimes to yeah. work out why we're going around Monaco, but <laughs> there you go. So it's a good a good decision from Liberty to allow Netflix to do that. Yeah, for sure. I, I hope they keep doing it. I think, are they doing it this year? I guess so. Yeah, they've got to be. Yeah, I think yeah. it's so popular. It's going down they've, so well, they've got to be crack. Yeah, they've got to mm, be cracking yeah. on with another one. Yeah. I wish, you know, when I was growing up, and I was really into Formula One, mm. like I'm into Formula One now, but when I was like 10, 11, 12, it was... I was really into Formula One. Yeah. But it was so inaccessible then because mm. of the whole Ecclestone era. It was just all, you know, there was no highlights, nothing, you know. Yeah. It was all very much a closed shop. And even as we got older, you would never see anything on YouTube or anything mm. else. Mm. It was just a complete closed shop. And now the access is just wide open. Yeah, yeah, it is. that's a really good point, actually. I didn't really think about it, but yeah, 10 years ago, you couldn't really watch it anyway. pictures... You know, yeah. anything from a race was just gone. You couldn't yeah. see it anymore unless you'd recorded it, you know. Yeah. It was... <laughs> so now it's gone the opposite way and it's just seems, it feels a lot more open and available yeah. and I'd have loved it, you know, <laughs> when I had, yeah. you know, when I was a kid and it sort of was, I didn't have much else going on other than school and Formula One. So. <laughs> yeah. When yeah. you're saying taping then, that just reminded me that I remember being out somewhere when it was Spa 98 and obviously because of the big incident and the time that took to fix that we'd put it on to record our tape and we missed the end because it filled the tape up the tape run out yeah (laughs) Yeah, you should have put it on long i was just thinking it was long play isn't it (laughs) (laughs) there's few people out there that won't know what long play is in fact i'm not quite sure was it just a longer tape or something (laughs) i don't know i was going to say it's a bit like recording in standard definition now so it doesn't fill up your skybox i suppose but even that's not a thing is that no, I mean, Christ, I've recorded all sorts of crap yeah. on the Skybox and it never seems to tell me it's full, so. <laughs> I think I've got all the bonds on there. Like, I, you know when you record one thing and it just keeps recording oh, everything yeah, else yeah. thereafter? The series I think I've got like broken, 20 odd Bond Sky? films. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think I was watching a Bond film and got tired and went to bed, so just hit record so I could watch the end in the morning. And then <laughs> You've got all of them It now. just started recording. <laughs> I've got like the whole of the Bond collection on there, but with like bloody ad breaks every seven minutes. You've probably got the late night recordings as well with sign language on the side. No, my Skybox yeah, does that sometimes. The, new, the break for the news. Instance. Yeah. <laughs> the news in the middle. <laughs> That's a very ITV thing, isn't it? <laughs> Watch a Bond yeah. film and I the news to, is on. Yeah, I used to... Well, that was like... As a kid, I was always allowed to stay up. Like, if there was a Bond film on, mm. all right, you know, you get ready for bed, you can watch it, and then mm. while the news is on, you do your teeth and stuff yeah, and then yeah, yeah. you could just watch the last bit the last 25 minutes after the news the climax <laughs> i accidentally yeah, started weird. recording the first fast and furious film on my mum's skybox yesterday and um <laughs> well because there's a there's a they've got sky cinema for whatever reason 
and um, there's a Fast and Furious channel now, so I thought I'll just have a look. And the first one was on, and I accidentally pressed record. Um, not record, sorry, download. Their internet's so slow up in Yorkshire, you know, it's literally two megabits. And I thought, oh no, I've just broken the skybox. I've just broken the internet for the rest of the day. It's going to take five hours downloading this bloody film. Um, the whole of didn't go down well. <laughs> Everyone's yeah. internet's gone to a crawl because I've downloaded because you're downloading HD Vin Diesel. Yeah, well, I was already so on to watch the Grand Prix streaming it because it was <laughs> the internet was too busy downloading Fast and Furious. So you think your mum might graduate from Drive to Survive <laughs> to the Formula One, and now she's she might be sitting there tonight going, "Well, I'll just give this Fast and Furious a go." <laughs> no, um, she was quite insistent that I deleted it. <laughs> mostly because it would have crippled the internet for the day but anyway <laughs> and yeah on the on the formula one train mm. max mosley died today he did it was a bit of a surprise actually 81 i don't know if he was ill or cancer anything. they said oh right okay hmm. so yeah um man who lived an interesting life didn't he just yeah Probably a uh, life that was... people in our our age probably remember differently to people who are a bit older. Yeah, potentially. Um, but I think he did an awful lot for things like safety mm. and all that. You know, in his roles. Yeah, he had, There sure. is a film about him, which is apparently being released, a limited release in cinemas on July the 9th. Oh right, okay. So I may try and watch that. It was something to do with them. It was made for the Manchester Film Festival last year, right? Which I assume and didn't happen. Of, yeah, and it's a bit of a biopic type mm. film mm-hmm. with him kind of giving. Apparently, it's a bit kind of warts and all mm-hmm. about okay. his life and the things he's been through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm hoping if there's if that's on somewhere, I might go and watch that. Yeah, that would be interesting. I, I hadn't heard of that at all. Um, but yeah, these he it has was, cer- it was he's certainly led of... an interesting life, and that would be worth yeah, a watch. It, it was in the back of my mind that there was a film, mm. and I thought I'll just Google see what happened to it because I thought, oh, is it on like Amazon Prime or something? But it's not. It's not mm. actually been had a public release yet. Mm. And uh, I read in one article it was July the ninth, so I'll look out oh. for that because that could yeah. be an interesting story. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's the stuff that stands out uh, sort of towards the sort of latter years, but I think more, obviously much more interestingly would be his, you know, his time in F1 and with Bernie and we were saying before we started recording, it was March 1st, wasn't it? The March team and then Brabham. Yeah, and then they got involved. And then they sort of in, you know, the bought FIA, the sport, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, took it over and yeah, he was a lawyer, I believe, by trade. And also a racing driver in his. I'd forgotten that. Yes, days. he was. Yeah, yeah. So I think he kind mm. of brought that side. I think Bernie Ecclestone was the car salesman, mm. and Max Mosley was the lawyer. Mm. And together they quite a partnership. Mm. So makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be an interesting one. Yeah, it would certainly. I, I just remember learning about his um, suing the News of the World because I did a journalism degree, and that was one of the things we we uh, studied. And he was successful in that, wasn't he? It was, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he sued the News of the World and he won um, Invasion of Privacy. Um, it's very rare to win something like that. I don't know if it's changed in sort of the 10 or 12 years since, but I remember being told at uni that was a, a rare win. And I think it was about 60 grand plus costs, which was, again, quite a lot of money for that kind of complaint. 
but I'll, yeah, we'll look out for that um, that sort of documentary um, biography that you mentioned. Um, would it be in a cinema? Do you think like limited release in cinemas, or it'll be streaming somewhere? That's, that's what I took from that. Yeah, it was like a limited release, mm. I guess, in cinemas. Mm. I feel like they've waited until for... they reopen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it might just be like the Odeon on Leicester Square or something, a bit like <laughs> that other. Uh, was it called Life on the Limit? I watched there. Oh yes, I remember that. Is that the one you've also got on DVD? Is it just called One Life on the Limit? Yeah, like and it was yeah. narrated by Michael Fassbender. Mm, yeah. And I went to the Odeon in Leicester Square to watch that, and there was only there was like a little tiny cinema with mm. like thirty people in it, and we were all like stinking f1 nerds <laughs> just all sitting in the theater in leicester square like, did you wear any merchandise uh no i think that was pre-merchandise days of <laughs> that's sort of become a weirdly the thing that i seem to be doing now <laughs> I, I joined just... in a little bit with that i bought one of those mclaren golf polo shirts that they were wearing this weekend ah which one did you get the one that they were wearing, I don't know. I was watching practice and I saw Norris wearing one. I was like, I want that. And I found it. Is it they said is it there's the only five pale, left. Yeah. The pale blue it. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I really, really, really wanted one. And when I went they on sold there, out. all sold out. Oh, well. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll sell it. Got... <laughs> they're not well, going to arrive until mid-June. They're, on... they're not out to the middle of the next they're... month. So they might they're on more. eBay for a lot. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. That's kind of disappointing. Um... I really wanted it. <laughs> I've no, got. I should keep it. I've got the. I bought the T-shirt. Yeah, I saw that. It's not as, well. as cool as the. It was like half the money, and they had some in stock. I was about but to say it was I've, pretty expensive. It's like sixty. I've signed up for. It said they're going to do another release, oh, okay. and I've signed up on the mailing list. So as soon as they say there's another release, yeah, I'll uh, probably buy that exact shirt and then we can be <laughs> we can wear them Golf together mclaren buddies <laughs> i think it said it mid-june they're releasing them so maybe they'll do it then yeah but they, they must have anticipated a bit of a rush for them because yeah. you'd think so because it's just this unique one-off it's so iconic it i mean do you it? think it's a bit of a nod to sort of say well maybe next year we might go I think they should i think they should definitely do that color scheme because golf have been a sponsor of theirs for a while haven't they this isn't new uh, I think. No, I think golf or came maybe around they've... about a year ago again. Okay. They just sort of rocked back up and stuck a little logo on there, quite yeah. quite discreetly. Yeah. So instead of going the whole hog like they have done or like they did for Monaco, I think they should. Yeah. I think it's it's such an iconic livery. It's not no, really known as a McLaren livery. I know there was the one McLaren F1 GTR in the nineties that was golf, but it's more known for Porsche and Ford. But still, I think they should do it. Yeah, 100%. It would definitely shift some more merchandise. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was absolutely taken by that. I was like, right, Norris, whatever you, that shirt is you're wearing, I want it. How do I get it? Then, yeah, bought it immediately. Yeah, excellent. Well done. <laughs> so, yes. yeah, well, moving on to cars. Yes. I actually just saw a car the other day on, you know, the social media feeds. Mm -hmm. And I was, for once, I was like, Wow. And it is this sort of, I guess it's a concept Opal Manta electric car. Mm hmm. Yeah. Obviously, they're not going to make them and sell them, are they? But uh, so it's, a, it's an Opal Manta GSE electro mod, and it basically looks like the old Opal Mantas from the 70s, 80s. 
but it's got an electric motor under it and it's got a manual four-speed gearbox still <laughs> it looks so good <laughs> it does look i love it awesome uh we we keep saying we'll put a picture on our instagram but this week i will put a picture on the instagram <laughs> yeah of the, the opal manta <laughs> um it's just it just looks, thought it was really cool yeah, and, it and it's an electric car with a four-speed gearbox yeah how does that work well instead of there you could just keep it run it in fourth and just treat it like any other electric it, car. Does it just deliver the same experience in any gear? You can just I guess go through so. the gears for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, but it's that old school, you know. I guess in fifty years' time, all the kids won't be know how to drive a stick. As they no, call they it won't. In America. No, you won't. You won't know how to drive a stick. <laughs> so, you know, you can you can pretend to be old school and go, "Hey, look! When I learned to drive, this is what you had to do: left hand. You couldn't just hold your tea." Yeah, be changing yeah, yeah. Gear. I'm reading that now. It says drivers, quote, have the choice of manually shifting the original four speed gearbox or simply engaging fourth gear and then driving automatically. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it is a little yeah. bit quicker in the lower gears because the Porsche Taycan's got two gears and the first gear is just used with launch control. So I wonder if there is a slight difference if you yeah, do sort of go through the gears. But no, I think that looks brilliant. You don't, you don't have to if you don't want to. Mm. I think electric yeah, well, cars, electric resto mods work when the engine was never an important point of, never an important sort of part of the car. And for this, I think that's fine because it looks brilliant. It doesn't matter what's driving it. Yeah, just you know, I kind of I'm not massive on the electric cars, and you know, in terms of looks, I often think. Uh, but this one, I was like, yeah, why don't you make that? I'll buy it. Forget about the Vauxhall Adam <laughs> or the. You yeah. Know, just yeah, yeah. You don't want to make a that. Corset That's e. cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a bit like I can't remember what Honda said when they put out the urban EV concept, which became the E. I can't remember if they said that they would eventually make it. I have a feeling they didn't. I think they just put out this again retro EV concept, and it got enough attention that they put it into production. And it changed a lot. And the E is a much sort of softer looking car, as you know, for various legislation and crash safety rules, but. Opal might do that. You never know. Well, it would certainly be cool if they did. It would. I'd have one. <laughs> and you've had, we, we we finally we've got the go ahead to add a bit of Gordon Murray into yeah, our we podcast, have. introducing special guests who, at the time of the recording, didn't know he would be any form of guest on any podcast. But uh, <laughs> let alone now, <laughs> and likely will never know that he was <laughs> a guest on a podcast. Uh, but yeah, we're we're allowed to use the the audio, and um, yeah, we chatted a bit about his company, about the investment going into his group that I think we spoke about on the podcast last time, and um, yeah, he talks a bit more about what he's doing to design electric SUVs, which I know isn't all that exciting, but then he also talks about why SUV is a banned word in one of his companies, as well as the word bracket. Um, he talks about V12 supercars; they're still going to be a thing. He's still going to make them. And he talks a little bit about e-fuel as well. He said he's very excited about that. Yeah, sounds like he's on a similar page to how I feel in a way. It's like, Mm. well, you know, they've developed that V12 for the T50. So that's obviously, they're not going to develop that for that one car. They've developed it to use, which is cool. So the V12 is going to stay. Yeah, and And then hybridize it a bit before he has to get rid of it. 
yeah and then obviously developing different fuels and stuff is to me much more exciting than mm. just electric cars he makes some good points about uh you know there will never be well we're not we're too far away so at the moment from a lightweight electric sports car mm. and he owned three Renault Espaces <laughs> we've buried I'm the lead sure. there haven't we that should have been right at the start of the show <laughs> <laughs> find out first about Gordon Murray's three Espaces I mean do you think he had like three massive families on the go <laughs> he was he was quite fertile in the in the early 80s late 70s and <laughs> I, do, he had to have three. I don't think that was his reason for having three i think they were one no. after another mm. <laughs> i didn't just go to Renault and go right i need three espaces <laughs> like, why don't you just get a minibus I no that. i really want the swivel captain's chairs <laughs> <laughs> A long wheelbase transit, no. Three espaces, <laughs> yes. And you could probably join them all. T- you could have probably parked them all side by side and opened the doors and just created like a massive kind of a dining sort of hall open space <laughs> <laughs> from just loads of loads of espas. <laughs> In fact, that that could be his latest concept, just like a <laughs> a, a a people carry that you park next to another one and. You could put an awning out between them, <laughs> <laughs> and you could have a, you could swivel around the captain's chair and have a picnic. Oh, lovely! Well, I hope that's what he's working on. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he just bought three, and probably the original ones were good, and then probably in the nineties it tailed off a bit. And I, I think it was his kids as, grew up as dads did, or maybe still do. You buy one, you like it, and then when that dies, you go to the dealer and say, "I'll have another one, please." Yeah, and then 1994, he probably had a McLaren F1. So. <laughs> Which he did, yeah, for a while. Then he flogged <laughs> that. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, good Good to hear you had a chat with Gordon Murray, who's a massive legend, really, in Formula One and cars. He's it was a real that honor. Venn diagram, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah, he really is. And there's so much more to him as well. I don't know if you know about the Road Rats magazine, but one of the early issues in there, there's a huge feature on him and his involvement with the Beatles, and he was good mates with George Harrison and helped George spec his F1 when he was buying one new. And it seems like Murray was pretty well connected. And um, I'm sure he's got some really interesting stories, which I didn't have time to talk to him about, but maybe one day. I think they were quite out there, and especially when he was at Brabham. Mm. And he, I think he used to like paint his nails and wear mm. weird clothes and stuff. So he had quite an interesting character and... The, sh- the shirts yeah. have remained, haven't they? The loud shirts. Mm, yeah, quite a flamboyant dress <laughs> sense. Yeah. But yeah, you know, designing the all-conquering McLaren from 88 and then mm. the McLaren F1, like the one of the greatest road cars of all time. Sort of accidentally so won them on, yeah. <laughs> got, got a bit of clout. Yeah, so I'll tack that on the end of this in a second. Um, and I'll just explain briefly that there is another voice that you hear as well as myself and Gordon. That's Philip Lee, who was the... Um, I think he's chief financial officer and CEO of the Gordon Murray Group. So he was talking a bit. Um, and we were also talking during a thunderstorm. So if there's a bit of uh, weird background noise on both ends of the call, that's what's going on there. So I guess to play us out this week, it's <laughs> Gordon exactly. Murray yes. and Philip Lee. <laughs> Up until a couple of years ago, um, the direction for electrification wasn't that clear. I mean, if you go back just a decade, people were saying we're driving hydrogen or we're driving yeah. e-fuels yeah. or whatever. <laughs> now that the industry seems to have 
taken this year to really get a, a last couple of years really to get a direction for at least the medium term towards electric vehicles. It's sort of the perfect timing for us. To, so to kickstart GMD, mm-hmm. um, we're going to approach it a very different way. It's almost a franchise model as opposed to a licensing model. Mm-hmm. So we've got the go ahead to invest inwardly ourselves into a platform. The other thing is we've picked before, we've picked vehicles that are quite sort of out there, you know, mm. little city cars. The last one we launched, we worked with a Californian company on an autonomous single person pod, which in the light of COVID is probably not a good idea. <laughs> so, um, so this time we decided to go mainstream. So the direction we got from the main board and the investors was pick a vehicle in a segment that it looks like it's going to be popular in the future and is a bit underpopulated and let's go and do a car based on something that you and I would like to drive, mm-hmm. you know, or something mm-hmm. you buy for your wife to drive. I mm-hmm. would certainly buy one of these. So we picked B segment, mm-hmm. um, sort of, I don't know what you call things these days, city size SUV, yeah. sub four meter SUV. Yeah. And off the same platform, very easily a light delivery van. Um, so we're going for sort of mainstream this time yeah. and we're investing ourselves. So we, the plan is to design, develop and build um, a small fleet of these vehicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the process and along the way, hopefully attract a customer or a partner. But the difference is this time we're paying for the engineering. So somebody, mm. somebody can come along. It's a much easier decision for them because in front of them, not only have they got running vehicles, yeah. they've got all the crash testing done a lot of the vehicle development done, the plan for the factory, all the financial inputs for the business plan, risk and risk assessment for the business plan, all that stuff laid out in front of them. Uh, but it means for us, yes, we've invested a lot of money in that, but we can sell the platform more mm-hmm. than once. And and the targets we've set ourselves for this vehicle are pretty pretty strong targets. You know, we as as we'd all expect from you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're looking at a B segment, smallish B segment, so just sub four meters. Yeah. Um, four, five seater SUV mm-hmm. um, and light delivery van, but let's focus on the SUV. Yeah. Um, we're looking at one third lighter than competition. Right. And okay. we're looking at a C segment packaging space. Okay. In a B yeah. segment vehicle. So yeah. we set ourselves some really tough targets. Yeah. We think we can meet or yeah. pretty or get pretty close. But of course, going back to GMA, mm. um, we're able to hang on to the good old V12, the noisy <laughs> V12, much longer than, than big companies can because, you know, the OEMs, they plan 15, they've got yeah. long yeah, product yeah. Um, timelines. They're, all, they're already product. way beyond the ban, aren't they? The 2030. Well, but, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, a lot of them have announced from this date, we're only doing this and from that date, yeah. We're at the opposite end of the scale. Our product, um, our product timing is is uh, three years, mm-hmm. and wow. and although we have a long product and platform strategy, mm-hmm. we we can be the last flag wavers at one end of the business, <laughs> which is the brand building end. Yeah, we can be the last flag wavers for a lovely, lightweight, noisy V twelve, mm-hmm. um, and at the other end of the business, we're cutting edge on the latest EV technology. So we're covering the lot. Good example of that, uh, Alistair, yes. is that uh, Project 2, which of course we're working on because when we finish producing uh, the T50, we need to move on to the next product. Yeah. GMA Project 2 will be the last vehicle we do that's non-hybrid. Right, okay. Right. Yeah. 
and you're looking, I mean, what sort of model number are you looking ahead to already? Are you, up at, you mentioned 53. Yeah, we've, we've got, we're, we're up to, um, well, GMA is up to, um, our product and platform goes up to 2033. Right. So up to full electrification, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And That's our plan. You were saying you sort of like at one end you're, you know, saying it's okay, V12s are allowed, and at the other end you're saying, you know, come on, come to the future. Somewhere in the middle there, there's this sort of mythical thing that we all want as driving enthusiasts, which is the lightweight electric sports car that no oh, well, one seems to have see, cracked that's, that's, yet. That's where GMA and GMD come together yeah. because we're a tiny, we're really a tiny business. Yeah. You know? um, and there's a lot of cross fertilization. Mm. So all the ethos and the feeling that goes into making T50, the mm. ultimate driver's car, mm-hmm. that all, you know, we'll. Hopefully, we'll never design a boring electric car either because <laughs> there's a lot know. of cross-fertilization. We've got a lot of very good young designers on mm-hmm. board now. Yeah. And, and they're learning the trade and learning what makes a, a car feel good and, mm-hmm. and yeah. handle well. And that goes for GMD and GMA. So. Yeah. I was talking to Matteo Rimac a couple of weeks ago and, and I said to him, what about the 400 horsepower, 1,000 kilo EV? And he said, that's the hardest thing to do. Says, yeah. and he, he sort of suggested they're not going to really get that involved because it's a small market, but I'm hoping yeah. you guys will. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, when we do, I promise you one thing. We've, we've already said to people, GMA will never do more than 100 of any one yeah. model or variant, and that's a promise. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever we do and whatever powertrain it has, it'll be the most fun thing to drive. Um, you know, relative to NAV12, probably not but relative to other people's electric cars, definitely. Yeah. I'm sure we can make an electric vehicle that's still fun at yeah. some point. Mm. But I promise you, it won't be a 2,000 horsepower, you know, in, until we get a generation, <laughs> next generation of battery technology. Yeah. I mean, the energy density is just so bad at the moment mm. on, on the current batteries. You, you, can't, you can't have your cake and eat it, unfortunately. When it comes to supercars, when it comes to uh, a four or five city, uh, city SUV, absolutely you can. Yeah. If you can get that down to a thousand kilos, that's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, can you? <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to try. Yeah. And uh, but but if you set out to make with the current battery technology a two thousand horsepower supercar, mm. it's never going to have decent vehicle dynamics because mm. it's going to weigh nearly two tons. Yeah. The one thing I've always said to people, uh, unless things have changed and I went to school, you can't change the laws of physics. You know, you can disguise <laughs> stuff, but you can never change the laws of physics. And a lot of people will say, ah, oh, but this software and this torque vectoring, if we do all sorts of clever things. That's what I mean. That's disguising. But, yes. But sure. ultimately. It still weighs the same. Ultimately, for any given weight, a car will only react to inputs in up to a point you know you can disguise it up to a point with active roll control and all this stuff but ultimately moving a mass uh you know moving a mass from left to right even quickly it comes down to the mass of the car yeah and as you say that matters much less when you're looking at a a, a, a four or five seat suv as you mentioned i'm kind of surprised that you said suv i thought that might be a banned word in the gordon murray dictionary yeah 
It, it would be in GMA, I promise you. <laughs> it is, it is. What am I, what am I saying? I've, I've, never, I've never said SUV ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's just become sort of a meaningless catch-all, hasn't it? Yeah, it doesn't people mean aren't much allowed anymore. to use SUV or bracket in this company. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but I have to say, I mean, it, it, I'm just going with the flow. That's what people call them. They, yeah. They're not sports utility vehicles, are they? They're, yeah. they're mm-hmm. more like... Um, I, I preferred the original title... Um, I had three Renault Espaces when they came out in the 80s. Yeah. And they were called multi-purpose vehicles, MPVs, yeah. you know. And uh, that was just such a brilliant motor car, that. Um, sports utility, I think, is derived from America. I was going to say, it sounds American, doesn't it? You know, but, but unless the problem we've got is, I hate the name, but what else do we say? You know, if we dream up our own name, nobody will know what the hell we're talking about. No, of course, so, you yeah. need you need the manufacturers and the customers to understand what yeah. it is, and they all think I mean, they understand what, what, what people is. are after in the city is something easy to drive, yeah. easy to park, easy to manoeuvre, and with a higher driving position than than a car that you don't take into the city. Yeah. And and unfortunately, the generic term for that is SUV. Yeah. Um, maybe I should think of a new name. I wanted to ask you a little bit about what your thoughts are on e-fuels and what Porsche is doing with that. Is that the other half of this sort of saving the petrol engine? Yes, it engine? is. Yes, I've got my eye on that. In fact, I'm talking to a couple of people who are getting involved in e-fuels, um, mm-hmm. not least of all because I've got a, a really good collection of classic cars. <laughs> uh, but of course, for uh, the future of, you know, T50 owners and people yeah. like that too, I, th- I think it's going to be a saviour for us, really. Something that stuck out for me, we covered this a few minutes ago a little bit, but what stuck out from the press release was that, firstly, T50 isn't a swan song to internal combustion like we thought, and it's not even a swan song to V12s by the sounds of it. No, no. Is, is, that, a, no. a, is that an engine platform that's going to be shared across future GMA vehicles, or are we looking at uh, different...? Yes. I mean, the, the V12, as you can imagine, doing a brand-new V12 and transmission yeah. for 100 cars is... Yeah. doesn't add up, does it? just never going to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we want to use the V12 as long as possible. But the one thing we have promised T50 owners is that 50 would be a halo car mm-hmm. yeah. and there would be nothing at quite that level again mm-hmm. you know central driving position uh the active fan aero um absolute formula one stuff everywhere and yeah. you know under a thousand kilos yeah. that's got to stand as a halo car mm-hmm. you know? yeah. um, however we've got seven principles i think they're in the press release yes. that gma will stick to and all the products we produce will will have that and of course the driving experience the the ent- the engine for me is central to that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so as long as we can run the v12 and even as we go into hybridization we still yeah. want to use our our v12 it's it's yeah. you know it's it's a hundred percent owned by us we've already had approaches from people to to use it mm. which we've battered away right. um, we want to keep it really exclusive we paid for it all you know we, yeah. we had a big hand in the design of it Cosworth are a great partner. I go back to the 70s with Cosworth. Um, And uh, once again, it's a great British engine. So, you know, we want to keep that rolling as as much as we can. All right. Well, yeah, that was Gordon Murray, which was pretty cool. And that is all for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Um, Do um, click subscribe if you can and click the star icon. Give us a rating. Give us a five-star rating if you'd be so kind. 
and maybe even write a quick review as well because it really helps with the algorithm and puts the podcast in front of more people and we'll get some more listeners um so yep thank you again for listening and we'll see you next time cheers <laughs>